It is only January 10th, but we are already learning about more scandal in the Tennessee legislature, including why a Davidson County judge refuses to release public records on a House ethics investigation. Gary and I also examine the importance of capturing castles instead of isolating on media-driven narratives. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Well, Happy New Year, Kevin. <laughs> happy New Year, Gary. Our first time back together in 2024. Amazing, isn't Is it? Is this like a back-together kind of song? Um, well, listen to the lyrics. They get pretty quickly into the chorus. Do you name, can you name the artist? If I give you the era, classic 70s artist. Mm. No, I don't have it. I think, you'll, I think you'll get the artist when they get to the chorus. <laughs> Because you'll hear the whole vocal, the fullness. Here we go. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I don't know, man. Abba. Okay. Right? Yeah. Vocal group. Great vocal group of the 70s. So I thought, why not start with Happy New Year? I mean, I, I know Abba, but definitely a little bit before my time. And no, you know, no one around me was big Abba fans. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh! It was on the radio all the time when I was growing up. Yeah. Dancing Queen. I mean, which is the one that everybody would recognize. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for but that. Ha- but Happy New Year, not so much. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that song, the, the lyric there is a little bit depressing, but the chorus is Happy New Year. So I thought, what a better way to start the year. And Gary, I am so excited to read, and ar- I want to read this article from the Blaze. Because it captures, pardon the pun, the title of the article is The Importance of Capturing Castles. And the reason I want to launch our new year is if if you don't hear me say anything else this year, I'm so excited by the strategy. The author is um, a gentleman by the name of Aaron or Aaron McIntyre. Aaron. It's funny how he spells it A-U-R-O-N, though. You know Aaron is the producer for The Steve Day Show. Oh, yeah. So Aaron okay. McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and Steve Dace. So he's he's the he's Mr. Producer. I think on Twitter he's Dace Producer. Well, he has a yeah. funny spelling of his name, A U R O N. Yeah, Aaron. So he has he has captured the essence of of how we ought to think about our situation. And a lot of times, I, I, I've been saying for a couple of years that the Constitution doesn't matter. And I think people get offended or upset when I say that. But my point has always been, unless people believe the ideas that underlie and that that pr- provided the framework, unless they walk around with the conviction that uh, our, our founders did and why they wrote the Constitution, the piece of paper doesn't matter. And he goes on to expand this idea about the strategy that we need to be pursuing, because while the left has always been about capturing institutions, the right still remains stuck in this in this rut of elections and, oh, the Constitution says. So let me read this. He has some fantastic uh, terminology that I, I found inspiring very practically for the new year. I'm ready. All right. He begins, boycotts, elections, school shootings, waves of illegal immigration, riots, pandemics, foreign wars, inflation. The political battle cycle passed us so rapidly it can be difficult to focus on any given event. 
Journalists write feverish articles and pundits voice their outrage, drawing media attention to the crisis of the week. Whenever the public consciousness focuses on any given event, politicians feel the need to weigh in or even take superficial action before the next current thing captures the mind of the electorate. This quick succession means the public rarely notices whether any real change took place before it moves to the next crisis. This is why the political right is so easily contained. Conservatives tend to focus on issues in the news cycle instead of securing the kind of structural victories that can be built upon over time. He goes on to say, I doubt that I'm shattering anyone's illusions here, but American political power no longer operates in the manner that you learned about in high school civics class. The idea that persuasive arguments win out in the marketplace of ideas and organically alter public opinion until politicians are forced to take meaningful action is, he says, laughable at this point. In truth, public opinion is shaped by constant consumption of mass media, which is controlled almost entirely by the left. This frames the boundaries of every political discussion. Now, those with the media are not omnipotent. There are events beyond their command to which they must react. But progressive journalists generally control the level of attention and the duration of focus that news items will receive. While the media ushers the public's collective attention from one crisis to the next, they also vest different institutions with the authority to resolve those issues. And this is where the power really lies. The American political system is no longer confined to three branches of government as the Constitution framers intended, which is why it feels like the Constitution no longer restricts the government's power. Political power in the United States now functions as a distributed bureaucratic oligarchy with different expert institutions acting acting as nodes in a network operated by ruling class. By the ruling class. Which which is what we've always known as the fourth branch of government. Right. Right. So he goes on to talk about Our recognition of the deep state is a good place to start, but we need to go deeper than that. He said these institutions dictate American politics, setting the terms by which elected representatives must play. Right. Key line. I'll repeat that. These institutions dictate. (coughs) These institutions dictate American politics, setting the terms by which elected. (coughs) Try it again. These institutions dictate American politics, setting the terms by which elected representatives must play. Bam! Just like that. That's all there is to it. This is what we deal with every single day, every single legislative session, whether we're sending someone to Washington, whether we're sending someone to the State House in Tennessee, whether it's local government. They don't really represent us, right? They represent the people who are paying them, and they represent the power of the institutions that control them. So one more time, that sentence is key. These institutions, being universities, social media, news organizations, NGOs, financial institutions, and unelected government bureaucracies, these institutions dictate American politics, setting the terms by which elective representatives must play. And he goes on to say each one represents a castle from which the left can project power despite the ebbs and flows of the democratic process. So if those on the right wish to secure meaningful victories, they must stop chasing whatever issue the media dangles before them and instead focus on capturing castles for themselves. So he goes on to talk about the deep state and then and then gives a good example of um, how Elon Musk's capture of Twitter 
was the first and really important mm -hmm. um, movement for us in that matter. He said, fortunately, we do not need to speculate on what capturing a castle would look like as we have a perfect example in Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. Progressives have relied on hegemonic control of information distribution in the United States. Musk's control of the social media website breaks that monopoly. Twitter now X is not just another social media website. It is the place where regime journalists came to craft the narrative they would push through the other outlets. And while other platforms command larger user bases, Twitter, now X, wields an outsized influence over the chattering class, which in turn sets the public discussion. Many have questioned, I think rightly so, how right-wing Musk truly is, but his willingness to remove any of the key censorship restrictions on, on Twitter has already had a huge impact on the right's ability to shape public discourse. His purchase of Twitter is easily the most substantial political victory the right has secured in a long time. And Gary, it was achieved without casting a single vote. Twitter is a castle, a fortification from which the right can impact the public narrative, even as censorship on the other social media platforms intensifies. He gives a couple other examples in the article, which I won't belabor the point, and I'll just end with his final paragraph. If you cannot take an enemy castle, the next best thing is reducing or destroying its power. By focusing its political capital on the kinds of victories that Musk and others have secured, the right can become far more effective at acquiring the power necessary to change America's trajectory for the better. The, the implications in the article are huge, and... You know, I love he used the example of X and Elon Musk buying Twitter because it's hard to not acknowledge the impact that Elon Musk has had on the First Amendment mm -hmm. and free speech in America. And and I and I agree with Aaron. I mean, it definitely if there's one thing you can point to over the last couple of years that has impacted political. I mean, look, even the the left sees the power of Twitter. They in some ways they blamed President Trump's use of Twitter yeah. for inciting an insurrection. Yeah. I mean, so although that's a false narrative, the point is, uh, I think we all agree that Twitter and social media and the ability to get a message out has a great deal of impact in the political discourse. So, yeah, I mean, he's right. The question is, who controls it? Mm -hmm. Like, who who turns the knobs, right. right? Who turns the algorithms one way or the other? And I think, and I've even noticed in our small little Tennessee stands world, as soon as Elon took over, you it it was a tangible difference in our reach. Right. Whenever we would put out a message on Twitter, like tangible, over mm -hmm. it's like someone flipped a switch. Nobody's throttling it anymore. Right. You know. Uh, you know where where a, a tweet used to get two or three or four likes. You know we can reach a hundred likes now. That's that's a big yeah. difference. Um. And so yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more and. The other thing I love about this article is it in some ways echoes the message that I shared last week in terms of the fact that our Constitution is simply a piece of paper without the will of men and women to enforce it. Yep. You know, go back to Luke 19. I th and I think taking these these areas of media and education and institutions is sort of a Luke 19 reference where the Lord commands, occupy until I come, yeah, engage until I come, do business 
until I come. Those are the responsibilities that we have as not only as conservatives, but as believers to impact culture. Mm-hmm. And and I agree with Aaron. If we can't if we can't take them, right, to to in some way destroy them. Right, destroy the enemy's foothold in right. them, right? And yeah. renew them and reform right. them in, in God's image rather than in the image of those who have destroyed freedom and liberty and and who are re- rebels, in fact, against God. Let me add one more comment about this. He does make reference also to, you know, the communist plan has always been the long march through the institutions. And that phrase, I think, tends Which to— Which has worked. Yeah, I, but it tends to lose its— impact because people are so used to hearing the phrase, it just kind of, like anything that's overused, right? It doesn't seem to have its, um, it doesn't capture people's attention anymore. But that is why they don't, I mean, superficially the left worries about elections, but ultimately they have no reason to worry about elections because they control all of the institutions They control power. outcomes yeah. through the institutions. And it's, and even if the outcomes are not to their liking, they control the day-to-day of how the outcome is manifested. And so if you get the election, an election, any election to to achieve what you thought you were going to achieve, immediately you see the influence of the left in the institutions putting up impediments at every step of the way to prevent the people who were elected from accomplishing what we elected them to accomplish. So I, I think it's so important that we think about these things the right way, right? Because Action is always rooted in thought, and if we're not thinking about things the right way, we'll spend our time taking the wrong action. I'm not suggesting, of course, that we don't participate in the electoral process, but our hope politically should be in reforming and transforming and taking and building institutions anew. And and look, put put all the, the Republican primary debates aside right now. You can even acknowledge today that's what's happening with President Trump. It's not just when you look back at 2020 – I mean, clearly there's an election issue, but if you if you set the election issue aside and you look at the fallout of what we're dealing with today, it's the fact that the left owned social media. Mm -hmm. They owned news networks. They owned the courts. You know, they owned these bureaucratic institutions, even under a republic, even in Republican leadership. The left owned the institutions Mm -hmm. under the administration. Yep. So. You know, that's the outcome now that we're seeing, uh, despite the fact that they also had to steal an election in right. 2020 to, to, but to it's firm their con- it up. But it's their control of the institutions and the media that allowed them to do that yeah, because right. they were able, able to censor, not only because the media was willing, but because the government was asking them to do it and the government was actively participating, which we couldn't have known, at least to the degree we do without Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter and exposing these things. Now, that's a that's a phenomenal article and great insight by Aaron McIntyre, uh, which is why I'm I'm so excited to I have— I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> How can I not? No, great. I uh, didn't even—by the way, so our audience knows, I didn't intend to make this connection that you're going to make, but I'm glad to know that Aaron works with Steve Dace because— Yeah, because we, uh, you know, we're hosting our very first ever— uh, fundraiser for Tennessee Stands on February 3rd called uh, Freedom First. And I feel very fortunate that we're able to have Steve Dace of the Steve Dace Show and Blaze TV Network um, uh, here as our keynote speaker. So, and, you know, I, I, and this is just my personal opinion. 
when I look at the landscape of political discourse and media personalities and podcasters out in the in the interwebs, right? I don't think there's anyone again, just for me personally, I don't think there's anyone that addresses current political discourse, especially on a national level, from a biblical worldview consistently as well as Steve Dace. And it's it's for that reason that I'm really excited to have him here. And I, I do believe on February 3rd that his message is going to be something we need to hear for 2024. So I, I just want to encourage all of our audience. I know I said this last week, but if you go to TennesseeStands.org slash Freedom First, that's TennesseeStands.org slash Freedom First. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Um, get oh, your nice tickets. rhyme there. <laughs> Don't wait. Let's, let's wrap. Don't procrastinate. Yeah, can we throw? Don't a, wait. Can we drop a beat? Don't procrastinate. <laughs> okay, that was that was really bad white guy rap. <laughs> it's all right. It's what we are. The white guys. <laughs> That's right. Who can't rap? In any case, really excited to have Steve Days here. So go get your tickets. It's in Middle Tennessee, Columbia, Tennessee, and no matter where you are, we would love to have you join us. So great article. So what is happening in Tennessee, Gary? You opened the lid on a topic that perhaps has been forgotten about, and I think you want to resurrect because there's been a little bit of new news on a matter of uh, keen interest to our audience here in Tennessee. Yeah, it's look, it's not shocking that we're entering into the next legislative session with a little bit of controversy concerning Republican leadership. Like that, that doesn't... Surprise, surprise. <laughs> it doesn't shock me at all. And by the way... For all of you that, that are ready to engage with this legislative session here in Tennessee does begin at noon on January 9th. So that is coming up. And um, here's the thing. La this last session last year, we we broke news as the bill that that dealt with sexualized performances. It was affectionately called the, the drag queen bill. Mm -hmm. Right. And there was a committee hearing where <laughs> where Representative Scotty Campbell from East Tennessee, who we later found out, I, I did not know this, promotes local amateur wrestling shows out in the woods in his area. And as a sitting state representative, this man questioned the, the bill because he was he was con he had a legitimate concern. And again, he said this on public record in a committee hearing. He was concerned that the bill was so strict that it would prohibit bras and panties wrestling matches at local county fairs mm. because because God forbid that children entering a county fair could not have the joy and pleasure of being exposed to bras and panties wrestling mm. match. This this was a question by an elected member, one of our 132. Uh, let me back that up. Mm -hmm. One of our 100, I believe, Republican state Jeez. representatives, okay, who's who's a concert who's supposed to be conservative, by the way. Anyway, later on in the session, that same guy was outed by News Channel 5, Phil Williams, who, you know, look, we don't always celebrate and agree with. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, the guy has a knack for finding things right. that you typically don't see. I'll yep. give him that. Yeah. What we call a true investigative reporter still, yeah. right? Kind of yeah. old school. And and just so happened, he found out that there had been not only an ethics complaint filed against the same representative, Scotty Campbell, but that he had been found guilty by the ethics committee in the legislature of sexual harassment against a 19-year-old female intern 
at the legislature. Okay, so before you go forward, can you put that in sequence? When Phil Williams discovered this, was that ethics complaint and the whole process around it, did that precede his comments? That that I do not know. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It all seemed to take place around the same time. It'd be interesting to know whether it was going on simultaneously. I I don't know the the span of time between the complaint and the time that Phil Williams reported it. I just know, we just know it exists. So what what came out of the story is what we, here are the things that we do know. Whenever it was found that he indeed was found to have sexually harassed this 19-year-old girl. Found by... The, the ethics committee. Yeah, the ethics committee of our legislature. Right. right. No punishment was given, no suspension, no mention, no removal from committees. No fines. No fines, nothing. The only thing that happened is that we we can only assume under the direction of Speaker Cameron Sexton, the legislature, this was a legislative expense. These are taxpayer dollars, not caucus dollars, spent upwards of $9,000 moving this young woman out of her apartment because the uh, the apartment complex is where the harassment was taking place okay. moving this young woman out of her apartment putting her into an ex- an, ex- an extended stay and moving her belongings back to her home in Knoxville all in an effort to keep her quiet and that's it that's what ha- that's that's all that we know that happened well when the story broke within the week Scotty Campbell resigned his position, which thankfully. was which was when, uh, roughly, how uh, April, okay, March of April. this year. It, it, yeah, it was towards the end of session, <clears throat> which would have been after his making this other comment. He made the comment in February. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, so he so he resigns. Okay, now fast forward as we're leading up into the next session, there have been public records requests made by a Nashville attorney and I believe by a few others as to. Uh, records that would show who authorized the expenditures um, and any documentation as to why there was no punishment or, or any. We're, we're trying to find out who led the cover up mm-hmm. and why. And and I, I certainly agree with Phil Williams and agree, by the way, I, again, almost never agree with the Tennessee Holler, but agree with them on this. <laughs> I, I think this is. When corruption happens in our government by elected officials, I think the public has a right to Absolutely. all of that information. Absolutely. Th- now, the reason I chuckled there for a minute is somebody's going to pull out that segment of you saying you agree with Phil Williams, and they're going to run it over and over and over oh, again. That's gonna whenever be, something. That's going to be a future campaign mailer. Should I ever run for office yeah, again? That's going to be the. Na- oh, yeah. I agree with Phil. Williams. Absolutely. Uh, you you can you can count on it. Uh, I, but I say these <clears> things because why I don't care. So whatever. All right, so in an effort to get public records, once again, what happens? Well, the the court, for whatever reason, not only denies the public records request, but here's the other thing. More taxpayer money to obfuscate the public and their ability to peek behind the veil. Governor Bill Lee personally approved a budgetary expense – for the legislature to hire out a third-party attorney uh, law firm at $375 an hour to defend the legislature against the citizens who were trying to get the information. And the, where the do we learn this? 
Uh, this was reported by Sam Stockard of the Tennessee Lookout. Hmm. And what what is also interesting, um, I'll, I'll, I'll throw in the last caveat here. In the judge's order, this is the mysterious part. In the judge's order refusing the FOIA request, he brings up and acknowledges this is the first time we heard this from the judge himself that in the case he was looking at there was also a two-page report and com- ethics complaint filed against caucus chairman representative Jeremy Faison so there was a subsequent records request put in like hey so what's that about can we see the complaint that was also sealed by the court and defended by the money approved by Bill Lee on so on and so forth so now we have yet another ethics complaint against a Republican caucus chairman that And we not, don't know who filed it. We don't know who filed it. We don't know what the complaint's about. We don't know I don't I don't even we think don't know we know if it's connected necessarily with this. No, and I also don't think we we know whether or not it's sexual harassment. We just know it's an ethics complaint. And again, not only are we not able to see the information, but even though the judge puts this in a court order, both Cameron Sexton and Jeremy Faison have publicly stated that the judge is lying or mistaken and that the ethics complaint does not exist. Which ethics complaint? The one against Jeremy or the one against The one against Scotty? Jeremy. They're saying it doesn't exist. It's in a court order. The judge is affirming its existence in a court order, and then he's sealing it from being able to be viewed publicly. And Cameron Sexton and Jeremy Faison are on record stating that it doesn't exist. And and when did this come out? And when did they go on like record? last like last week? Yeah, this is all happened so within very the last recently. Week. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the judge? Uh I don't know. And uh, I think a, a Nashville, you know, a Davidson County Chancery Court judge. Hmm. I, I wonder who, if the who story most, meant it. Who most likely is well, I don't know. I don't know what their political leanings are, but 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 seemingly it seems. Seeming seemingly it seems. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's <laughs> redundant, but I get I get it. <laughs> that when when we the people approach the court for transparency from our government here in Tennessee, look, whether that be a, a trans shooter's manifesto, mm-hmm. right, or whether it be what is happening with elected representatives in our government, we don't get to peek behind the veil. And that, look, left or right, it doesn't matter. That bothers me, and it should bother us all. It's because the institutions, just as Aaron McIntyre is pointing out, the institutions are controlled by the left. It doesn't really matter. Even if you have a Republican representative, I would call it like a placeholder, right? A pla- Or a placard. The institutions are so controlled by leftist ideas that we no longer have access, as he starts off his article talking about. It's not like you learned in high school civics. And And what's funny about both of these complaints is the character of these men on public display. So you got one complaint against Scotty Campbell, who's talking about bras and panties matches. Well, what you may not know, which we put out on Twitter last year, Jeremy Faison was all over the news in his local area in East Tennessee for pantsing a referee at a local basketball game. Wait, he did that? He did that personally. As a representative recently or like way in the past? No, like last year. He's been a representative since 2010. But I, I was he, I, I was wondering if this was like a, some college. No, shrink. no, 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 no. And he's a and as he a, did this as an adult, as an elected representative, Republican caucus chairman. He pantsed a guy, pantsed a referee at a local school, high school, local school basketball game. Wow. <laughs> I mean, so it's like, you know, you look at it's not just the complaints like these complaints line up 
with they, the character you see publicly. Yeah, they. Oh, and and this and again, I want to stress. It, I'm, I I just think, and people get mad. You know, well, not people get mad at me. the The Republican Party gets mad at me for stressing this, but it's important for Tennessee to understand. I I, I I've got to keep pushing this message. These are not just any men and women. These are members of leadership of the Republican Party in the highest levels of elected office in the state of Tennessee. Which is not a far step from the discussion we had about the, it's the lieutenant governor, right? Am I correct? McNally, yeah. Talking about rainbows and... Sunshine. Sunshine. And he did it all in a public... Wasn't that interview with Phil Williams? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he wasn't even embarrassed or ashamed by it. He seemed to think that that was a good response to say that he was befriending. Yeah, he was being nice in his own words. Uh, now, now, by the way, you know, since you brought up Randy McNally, another story coming into this session is our lieutenant governor, who also serves in Tennessee as the Speaker of the Senate, will not be around to do his job. He will not be at session. He will not be running the Senate reportedly for the first week, two weeks, three weeks. We don't know because he just recently had ankle surgery. And so he won't be there. And of course, hmm. it was expected that he would be stepping down from his post at lieutenant, as lieutenant governor this year because of what happened with this trans boy or gay boy or whatever on Instagram. Well, he's not doing that and he's not showing up for work. And I've got my own speculation as to why he's now decided to serve out his term and not step down as lieutenant governor. I, inside baseball is because their guy they would like to crown with the position, majority leader Jack Johnson, doesn't have the votes to get mm. majority leader. But that's to get so, so everybody lieutenant knows governor. that's just speculation, that right? Is spe- that is that is speculation. That that speculation started around the special session on gun control. When Senator Paul Bailey out of uh, Sparta, uh, out of the Plateau area, really stepped up in leadership and began to, I think, really publicly garner some leadership kind of support. And it, and it's and he has put his name in the hat to be lieutenant governor. And I'm, again, speculating, but it seems right now in the Senate, if you were to go take a poll and poll the votes that – Senator Paul Bailey has the votes to become lieutenant governor. And so that's my theory as to why McNally has changed course where he was going to step down is no longer stepping down. Look, even though now he can't serve, you know, the the guy (laughs) and he he can't he can't even step down because if you think about it, literally, if he's having ankle surgery, he can't step down. And and I don't remember. You didn't. You didn't catch that. that what what happened? He he had ankle surgery, so he can't step <laughs> oh, down. I was already on to my next thought, <laughs> but that's that's it's good. That's good. <laughs> trying to trying to inject a little humor here. And I think last year, not humorous, but last year, I can't remember if it was simply a heart condition or he had uh, a procedure, heart surgery, mm. and then this year he's now out because of ankle surgery. Uh, and look. He's, and he probably doesn't want to be there at this point. I wouldn't and they're, they're like making him hang on for their own purposes. We're not trying to be ageist here. The guy's old. He's been serving in the legislature, Kevin, since the year I was born. Are you serious? 1978. Wow. Your current lieutenant governor was first elected to the state legislature and has served consecutively since 1978. So he himself is an institution. 
Yeah. Well, there's no question. <laughs> you, if you want to know where all the bodies are buried, go ask Randy McNally. He knows. Wow. <clears throat> so that makes a that, that brings a lot of context to understanding why he's there, why his position is protected, and yet he himself probably, I would imagine, is exhausted. When you watch him interviewed, he doesn't look like he's in good health, right? Um, and yet what other people... So the other people are, in fact, using him, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're using him uh, in order to secure their own power to protect themselves, is there, which is shameful. Is there no, Kevin, is there another example of that sort of happening, like maybe in the White House? Hmm. Like, hmm. <laughs> Talking about puppets, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Where else? Where else? Where else is that happening? Yes. In, in our government, very, very effectively with the support of the media and everybody looking the other way. Goodness gracious, twenty twenty four going to be a very interesting year. What are you going to do with your extra day? You know, it's leap year. That's true. Um, maybe make an extra video. You know, gonna yeah. I'm going to go after someone extra this year. <laughs> Do something, do something extra controversial, Kevin. Isn't it? So I'm going to do with my extra, extra con- Yeah, it's a whole 24 hours of extra time. I asked that to one of my children, and she said, oh, I'm going to be working. It's a Thursday. Mm. And I said, no, 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 you've missed my point. I'm not asking what are you doing on the exact, you know, we insert it as February 29th. But the reality is you have 24 more hours in this calendar year than you have in the other three intervening years. What are you going to do with it? And by the way, as we lead into session, we are uh, we've got a team with Tennessee stands right now already pouring through all of the bills being filed. And um, so I'm, I'm waiting on them to to sort of cipher through what's going to come my way and hit my desk and things that I need to see and read. Uh, but so far, I can tell you there are already bills filed dealing with mental health mm-hmm. uh, juveniles, you know, access to guns, all those sorts of things. Which we um, suspected would be the case coming out of the special session. Absolutely. Right? That's already happening. There's a, a bill dealing with guns uh, are be, being able to carry in a private school setting. There is a bill uh, dealing with obscene materials for, which is actually sort of a good bill if they can put some teeth in it. It gives, because, you know, we passed laws last year that restricts obscene materials in schools, yet we know nothing's happening, right? right? This bill actually now gives citizens standing to mm. sue their local school board whenever they're not removing those obscene materials. So, so who, who filed that bill? Uh, Representative Gino Bolso good. Uh, here in Williamson County. By the way, one of our A-listers uh, on the Tennessee Legislative Report card. So right. he's he's content. He also is the same guy that filed the bill uh, to carry on uh, private school premises. Good. I haven't read that bill on all the details yet. And of course, you know, beyond all of that, we've got another bill filed by Brian Ritchie. It's not carried in the Senate yet. Uh, that will deal with emergency powers. Uh, I won't go into the details right now, but it would be the um, first real opportunity I think we have to significantly limit limit the governor's authority in an emergency okay. especially when it comes to imposing criminal penalty right like we saw with the uh, lockdown order mm-hmm. that carried a class a misdemeanor right and then beyond that of course the the biggest item coming out of the governor's administration is school choice and right. that debate is still going on furiously and there'll be a lot more to say about that as time goes on by the way all of these organizations, these national organizations running push polls and petitions for Tennessee citizens to support school choice, still there is no language. And I've heard it reported that we should not even expect any language on this bill until February. 
So it's it's I I predict that this massive omnibus school choice package is going to be another overnight caption bill yep. amendment. You you can take Dropped that in at the last minute. You can take that to the bank. We're just repeating. We we've learned very well, and I use that in air quotes from what the federal government does, haven't we? Yep. If it works in Washington, why not try it in Tennessee? Why not here? Omnibus bill that nobody has time to read at the last minute. Uh, yeah, we should all we should all support it though, Kevin. Do you get any sense, Gary? We should trust them. Yeah, trust them. Trust me, I'm from the government. I'm here to help, yeah. right? Do you get any sense that we're getting traction though that people are waking up? You know, we've been talking about the dangers of this of this quote-unquote so-called school choice for a couple of months now. Do you get any sense that people are waking up to it, at least in our listenership and our audience, Tennessee Stands members? I think so. I think, I don't know that, that I don't know how much, how, how many waves we're making necessarily, but I think there is more conversation being had than was. I think people are asking more questions, especially, you know, when, when I look at the issue, uh, and and this is been since before we've been talking about it because this has been work that the Homeschool Legal Defense Association has been doing for years. Mm -hmm. I think where people really understand the challenges is when when we're dealing with homeschool and and really understanding the implications of forwarding tax dollars into homeschool. But I think the sticking point that I see primarily is getting people to understand that because here's the talking point from the proponents like Americans for Prosperity and American Federation for Children, their talking point of why we support it is, well, we're getting our money back. Right. But do you say that when you get food stamps <laughs> and welfare or is is that called just getting your money back? For for some reason, the government takes your money and then they wash it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they do, and then <laughs> they, they launder it, and yep. then they tie regulations back to it, and then they give it back to you. Well, normally we call those entitlements, mm-hmm. right? We call that well entitlements, which we're typically against as conservatives, right? Always come with strings attached. But with school choice, the message is: well, we're just we're getting our money back. But are we really? Is that mm-hmm. is that the message? Mm-hmm. So. You know, when you think about it that way, well, we're just getting our money back. Why shouldn't it be it be used for homeschool? And th- I think that right there is the hard message. It's it, it's it, it seems like a difficult message to win because people, for whatever reason, when it comes to school choice, have become so convinced that all they're doing is simply getting their money back. And the homeschoolers, in in particular, need to be very very suspicious of large organizations that do not share their values, that have never homeschooled, have not walked the path that you walk with your children, have not uh, made all the sacrifices that homeschoolers make. You and I are both homeschoolers. I home, My wife and I homeschooled all of our children. Um, you're in the midst of homeschooling your children, and many of those who listen to us are. The idea that someone like Americans for Prosperity, which is a gigantic organization with a lot of political power, speaks for me as a homeschooler is very disconcerting. I would never place any of my trust in their advocating for me on many issues, um, but especially not homeschooling because they really don't understand uh, what it takes to homeschool. And I think that that's, it's really important that we 
not just align ourselves with an organization because it's speaking loudly and professes to be on our side of the political aisle. Yep. So I'll just say on the school choice debate right now, uh, well, I've I've said a lot, but all I'm going to say today is I I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know where the bill is going to go. But my my number one mission at minimum when it comes to school choice is to keep it away from homeschool. Mm -hmm. I, I think we need to be very adamant. Absolutely. We have vigilance. to be very vigilant about making sure that we keep this out of out of homeschool. So that's that's the plan. That's where I'm at on it. And uh, it's it's going to be a very interesting year on several fronts mm-hmm. for sure. Well looking forward to it. Thanks, Gary. Blessings. Happy New Year. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. (laughs) ¶¶